0: And I, I still remember my prayer. I was like, Mary, I'm sorry, but I am just sick of searching. Could you please just tell me where does your son want me to be? Like, where am I called to? And I, I got a little teary eyed and then I just wiped my eyes and I walked into mass and it was during that mass. I can't tell you what happened, but something in me said, you're called to go back to the society of our lady, the most holy trinity.
1: What is up, everybody? Welcome to Café con Santos, a show where we promote the rosary, reflect on the life of the saints, and share many journeys in the faith. I am Ricardo Hernandez, the host of this podcast, and with me today we have Sister Kateri. So, um, before we get started, Sister Kateri, I have to ask you the most important question.
0: Boy, what is that? Are you ready? Um, I'm trying to get ready. (laughs) Do you like coffee? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> All right, we, we started uh, right, uh, but it doesn't matter, any, any type of coffee, some people prefer sugar. The- I prefer
0: like a fancy latte, but you know, I'll take anything. Okay, good.
1: <laughs> All right, so um, so thank you for joining us, Sister Kateri, she is a part of a community called Salt, and later on she's going to be sharing about what they do and what the, uh, what the word salt Stands for and all that good stuff, Uh, but before we get started with all that, we're gonna we're gonna start with a prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of life. We want to especially thank you because today we are recording on the solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. We ask Lord that you send your Holy Spirit to guide this conversation. Please help us to uh, have a recognition of all the things that you have done in our lives. I also want to pray for the listeners that wherever they're at at in their journey, that you may provide some comfort through the next hour or so of conversation that we have. And we also ask Our Lady that she protect this video and audio from any technical difficulties. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Sister Kateri, I like to call this section, Ask Sister Kateri. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you just have to answer as honestly as possible. Okay. All right. First question. If you could have a superpower, what would it be?
0: Oh, to stop time. Time would stop for everybody else except for me.
1: Okay. And what, what would be some things you, you would you would use that for?
0: Well, then I could get a lot accomplished while everybody else was maybe sleeping or something, and it would just add extra hours onto the day. Whether it's, you know, doing extra prayer time or whether it was extra work or cleaning or whatever, I would have extra time. Nice. Yeah, that would be my.
1: Are you a fan of country music?
0: Yeah. I mean, not huge, <laughs> but I would say like meh, 65% okay
1: i'd say that's more than 50 (laughs) percent. are you a dog or a cat person
0: um i like them i don't have one but i like them
1: dogs or cats
0: actually both okay i have a crazy story about that but anyway this is probably
1: tell us about that crazy
0: okay so i really wanted a puppy and one of the sisters is like pray and ask jesus for one i was like puppy or kitty one of the two and because we can't have them in the convent in case somebody's allergic. Sure enough, somebody dropped off a cat at the church, and nobody would take it at Holy Redeemer. And so then I asked permission till we found it a home. So I had a little kitten that was probably about I don't know, it, it only three weeks old in my house till we found it a home. And how long was it? And that? really, I was like Jesus. I know you brought me this cat because really, I did pray, and <laughs> it was just like two weeks before that I started praying that prayer. And I ended up getting, well, I had it for about a week and then I found it a home and then that person needed a babysitter. So I got to keep it for another two weeks. I know it was fun. I was like, uh, wow, thanks, Jesus. Yeah, Simple prayers. Fun. He answers them. It's okay. That's such a,
1: it's a, such a dad move to just be like, all right, you can't have a cat long term, but I'll let you keep them for a little bit. <laughs> uh, what set of mysteries do you like the most when praying a rosary?
0: I think the luminous.
1: Yeah. What was one of your favorite cartoons as a kid? Scooby-Doo. If you were given $1,000 right now, what is the first thing you would do with it?
0: Probably donate it to Holy Redeemer School to help pay for school tuition. <laughs> uh,
1: what is one thing that most people do not know about you?
0: I like to go fishing. Probably not many people know that. Okay. When was the last time you got a chance to go fishing? Oh, it was a long time ago. It was probably over a year ago. But I do like it. Okay.
1: What, what what do you like about it? It's just uh, I
0: think I like that it's nice and quiet, peaceful. You're out in nature, and there's something exciting about catching a fish. And then it's practical because then you get to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Sorry, Peter. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I,
0: I've never You're not actually, a fan no, of fishing. No, I've not. I,
1: I like it, but I've never had the opportunity to actually do it. So there's one time many years ago I went to study abroad i think it was to costa rica or guatemala one or the two and then part of their little trips that they have planned for us there was like a little coffee plantation and then there was also like a little fishing area but it was just literally just like a stick with like it wasn't fishing it was so no i haven't i haven't had the chance but it is on a bucket list That's fine. Uh, what was your dream job growing up
0: well i wanted to either be a teacher or a lawyer Kind of opposites But yeah And I kind of Fulfilled that Teaching
1: uh, What is one of your Pet peeves
0: Peeves I guess um, Even though I can be Late sometimes Being tardy Things are tard Not on time It can kind of be A pet peeve I guess
1: Okay And then last question If you could be The patron saint Of one thing What would it be
0: Hmm it would probably be, well, maybe of Catholic schools. I would like that because I really love and support Catholic schools.
1: Patron Saint of Catholic schools.
0: All right. We already have some of them, but there's a lot of yeah. people that share patron sandages. So there we go. All
1: right. <laughs> well, thank you, Sister Kateri, for that section of Ask Sister Kateri. Uh, so now I'm going to ask if you could just share a little bit about who you are, um, a little bit about your community, and really just... Anything that right now perhaps you feel that the Lord is asking you to share with with the, with the audience?
0: Okay. So, yes, my name is Sister Kateri. I was born and raised outside of Buffalo, New York, so very similar to Detroit in some ways, but, um, but I was more in the suburbs, so I grew up kind of in a smaller town. And I went to Catholic school my whole life from kindergarten all the way through college. Um, My parents, so my parents were separated and I was really raised by my mother and she, I just did everything with my mom. So um, I saw my dad, like he would actually, it was kind of an interesting situation. They both still got along. Um, My dad would come and visit me during the week and especially on weekends. And they would both take me to church together. Um, And so I grew up, like I said, with my mom. And when she would draw closer to our Lord, I would follow. So she wasn't maybe, she was just a practicing Catholic by taking me to church on Sunday, but really didn't have a deep faith. And I remember when I was uh, about 13 years old, she went on a parish mission. So it was, it's kind of like a church retreat. They did it for um, eight days and it was eight nights of hearing talks and having share groups, but it was just with the adults. And it was in my small little church back in, um, Pendleton, New York, good shepherd. And she would go every evening and then tell me the next day how it was, because by the time she got back, I was usually in bed already. And I was like, I want to do something like this. It sounds so much fun. Because I was used to just going to church on Sunday for an hour, and that was it. Well, I was too young to do this parish mission. But my mother started after that. She had a bit of a conversion. So we started to go to Mass. In addition to Sundays, we started to go on Wednesdays. Little did I know that churches have Mass every day. I thought my priest was doing a it's bonus. Not just Sunday? No, you could go every day. Could you believe that? So I thought my parish priest was giving us a bonus Wednesday night mass. I was like, wow, he's a good guy. He even throws in an extra. But I'd come to find out, uh, every church has mass daily for the most part. Um, and when we started to go to church more often and more frequently, then I started to get more excited about my faith and wanting to really learn more. Um my mom would she wanted to learn more herself so she was buying books from EWTN about the saints and about the church and about the mass and then she would give them to me to read and i really didn't actually like reading so the first books that i started to read were saint books where i actually was interested granted i could read because i was like a teenager at this point but i just didn't like to read for for, for like fun but when i started to read books on the saints i was like wow, this is amazing. This is a real life story of somebody who actually lives their Catholic faith. And so I just remember being like, I want to do more like these saints are doing. I want to live my life like them. And I remember when I was 15, my mom wanted to go on a family vacation. Now we went on a family vacation every year and it was extended family. So it was my cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody. We all went on vacation together. This year, though, she wanted to just take me, because really we couldn't find anybody else that would go with us, to Catholic family land. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, so it's not a amusement park. It is not. It is like a big retreat center for Catholics in Ohio. When she told me that, I was like, Mom, we're used to going to Disney World. <laughs> so I was like, we're going to go where? Instead of going to Florida or Tennessee, my sister... My older sister lived in Tennessee. So sometimes we'd go to Tennessee and I was like, instead of going there, we're going to go to Catholic family land. <laughs> that I was sounds like, so cheesy. <laughs> it sounds extremely cheesy. Not only does it sound cheesy, I was like, I don't want to go by myself. And she's like, well, invite a friend. Well, nobody would go with me. When I told them, they're like, no, I can't go. So I had nobody to go with. So it was just my mother and I. And we arrived to Catholic family land happened to be, um, the bilingual, um, retreat weekend. So it was all in Spanish and in English. Yeah. I didn't pick up too much, but, um, but so as I met a lot of people that spoke Spanish, um, and there were different tracks. So there was a teenage track. There was a, a young child, like maybe up to 12 years old track. And then there were the adults and they had their own se- separate sessions where they'd have talks with different speakers that came in. And at the first day I was like, I do not want to be here. I can't believe that this is our family vacation. And we drove, I don't know, I think it was only like five and a half hours, but we drove this far to go to this, you know. Day two wasn't so great, but it was like a, a week-long camp that we went on, pretty much like a family camp is what you went to. By day three, I really enjoyed it. I was soaking in everything that the youth ministers were saying, And they were just talking about the importance of the scapular, the importance of the rosary, um, how important it is that you read the Bible. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there and absorbing all this. Like, wow, we're supposed to be doing that? Or, oh my goodness, we're supposed to be going to confession regularly. Like, I really didn't know a lot of this. Even though I went to Catholic school. they didn't
1: have any youth groups or anything like that? No,
0: very small parish. It was mostly adults that were, you know the life of the parish or two main children. So I remember not wanting to leave after the week was over. And I took so many things from it. We were driving out of the parking lot, leaving Catholic family land. And I said, mom, can we pray a rosary? I was like, do you know how important mom the rosary is? We should be <laughs> praying this every day. And so from then on, I started praying the rosary every day. So like, and I would do it in my room. I would close my door. I would kneel in front of my bed and I would learn, cause I never learned how to pray the rosary. So I literally had to pull out the, how to pray the rosary card. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I, I might've made a lot of mistakes the first time. Mm-hmm. Like I had no idea. I'm, I'm following follow the directions. So it was like a little recipe. <laughs> I'm like, okay, do this step first, then this. But, but from then on, I prayed the rosary every day. And we, when we were in the car together, we would pray the rosary together. Um, and I also learned the importance of the brown scapular. So from then on, I, I wore the brown scapular every day. And so there were a lot of things. It was really through my mom's conversion, though, that I became deeper in my faith. And when it was time for me to look into colleges, I remember at Catholic Family Land, because it's not that far from Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. And so they, they mentioned that a few times. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that school. But then when I was looking into colleges, that school was the one that just kept popping up. Like, you should look into Franciscan University. My, my sister-in-law was like, probably more people like you that are there. And I was like, hmm. what do you mean? I'm They're not like going to take that as an <laughs> offensive thing, but I think it, she didn't mean it in a positive. But just more people that are really practicing their faith and authentic.
1: And, and so, by this time, because I know at some point Franciscan was known as, as like a party school.
0: It was definitely not at this point. It okay. was like the churchgoers school. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, I ended up, so I graduated high school in 99 and went, Oh, so when I was picking out colleges, I was looking at all different colleges. I was looking at local colleges, but I was also looking at ones farther away. And I kind of was like, now this is crazy because I was definitely a quiet, shy person. might not know that, but I was very quiet, very shy. And, um, was kind of shocking for people to hear me say I wanted to go away to college because I was always with my family, always with my mom, and I was kind of, yeah, a little quiet. And so I was like, no, this is my only opportunity. Like, I want to do, like, the real college experience. I want to go away to college. I don't know what got that into me, but I did. And my mom's like, well, the only college I'll really help you pay for is if you go to Franciscan University. And I was like, oh, geez. So it kind of narrowed it down a little bit, because if I wanted to do this, there, was... Was there
1: any other besides Franciscan that you were like,
0: I, w- I wouldn't mind going here? You know what? When, so my mom did let me look at other colleges, and when I looked at some of them, well, actually, all the ones I was looking at other than Franciscan, I knew I didn't want to go to, because I knew it was the wrong type of school for me. Like, and some of them were Catholic, and I would ask, so can you explain, like, what is a Catholic... Catholicity on your campus, like, and one of the responses from one of the tour guides was, we don't push the faith here at all. You could be any religion. And I actually wanted the opposite response. So I was like, well, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> so that it down. Every time I would ask a question about the school, I would see things that I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't want to go to this school. Like, they just weren't practicing the faith. And that was really important to me at that time. And so I ended up going to Franciscan University. And... It, that was such another, so i I can kind of see my life as stepping stones of deeper conversion. So I would say when my mom made that mission, that was a stepping stone because I eventually, when I was old enough, also made a parish mission. And that drew me closer to the faith. Then I went to Catholic family land grew even closer to God. And then Franciscan university was a huge conversion point for me. Um, Prior to that, I I was starting to be like a high schooler where I was going out partying with friends and I knew that that wasn't me, but I was like, I'm kind of bored. Like I had really easy classes. It wasn't, you know, so it was kind of an easy year for me. And so I was just exploring different things because my friends were doing it, but then that was more towards the end of my senior year. And I knew I already picked to go to Francisco University. And when I got there, I was like, "Wow, I should never have been going out with my friends and partying and doing the things I was doing. And I remember calling one of my high school friends and saying like, hey, you no, know, we, we both need to go to confession. Like you do know that, right?
1: Was there like a, a talk or a group of people that got you to that point where you realized, oh, I know there's some sketchy things.
0: Yes. So really God placed the right people in my path. Because if I would have went to Franciscan and got involved with the people that wanted to go out and party or wanted to, because they have that there, Mm -hmm. you know, there are small pockets that do do that. Um, I would have, I would have joined that crowd. But everybody that he placed in my life, which they were great young women. um, They didn't, they just, you know, they just wanted to be at Franciscan to get to know the Lord, to study and to just make good holy friends. Mm -hmm. So I was like, were fun. I liked hanging out with them. We did everything that was just, you know, good and pure. And so it was through them. We would have like really late night conversations in the dorms. And I just remember one of my roommates saying, do you know the importance of going to mass every day? I was like, yeah. She's like, no, I just had a theology class. And the the teacher was just, the professor was saying, you really need to go to mass every day because receiving the Eucharist, every time you receive the Eucharist, it draws you closer to to our Lord, and it gets you closer to heaven. Like, yeah, it's really important. She's like, they have mass here three times a day. There's no reason why we shouldn't be going. She's like, we should start tomorrow. I was like, okay, you're right. I was totally on board. And I was like, wait, what's your schedule like tomorrow? She's like, well, I can go to the noon mass. And I was like, I have class and I have an evening class. I can only go to the 6 a.m. She's like, oh, you better get to bed then. And I was like, that's so unfair. But I did. I got up and from then on, I was going to daily mass. Wow. So really, and then another friend challenged me and was like, "Are you going to adoration?" I was like, "I go once a week." And they're like, "We go every day." <laughs> and I was like, "You go every day for an hour?" And I was like, "For an hour?" So then I was like, "Well, if he can do it, I can do it." So it's kind of like a holy prayer pressure because I was like, "I'm going to make a holy hour every day then too." Mm-hmm. So then I was in—they call it the Porteuncula. It's um, the port, which is the adoration chapel that's on campus, and they have perpetual adoration. So I would go every day. I would schedule a time. I could go to daily mass, make my holy hour, and I was kind of living a religious life without realizing that God was putting me in that path, but it it became part of my routine. I wanted to to go to mass, I wanted to go to holy hour. I really desired that peace and that prayer time. And it was through my friends, like it was through the peers that I met at Franciscan that encouraged me to do this. My experience, nothing
1: close to that. (laughs) So I, I went to Michigan, Ann Arbor, very liberal university, and uh, when I first got to college, I was very much into the party scene. We used to have a house where every, pretty much every Saturday, we would have parties. We would drink, smoke, all the craziness. I never really had uh, Catholic friends, so the friends that I had, maybe one or two were Catholic, but not practicing, and uh, and so. Uh, I'm a little jelly that you have those people. Because <laughs> um, I think in many, in many ways, the Catholics on campus maybe could have done a better job doing outreach. Because uh, there, were, there were groups like, um, I don't know if you ever heard of, what are they called? Christian Crusade? It's a crew. There are Christian uh, non-denominational oh. groups. And so it's interesting how the way that I came to uh, Jesus was through bible studies with a group of christians so i I guess in a way that has a lot to say with the catholics at that time in in my life but um so it sounds like uh we had a very different high school experience i mean college experience yeah
0: god puts you where he wants you and he just you know if you follow his path it's the one right for you that was what you needed, yeah, I guess. Yeah.
1: In the end, you know, I, I think part of my journey, uh, if I hadn't gone through all of that, I, I probably wouldn't be doing the stuff that I do right now. So, yeah. you know, God could work through even the messiness of our life. Right. So eventually uh, graduated from Franciscan University yes. and uh, joined what is now called SALT. What what can you tell us about that process?
0: Um, So after Franciscan, I actually wanted to do some type of missionary work. And so I was looking into volunteering. I didn't want to go out of the country. I wanted to stay in the United States. And one of my friends was volunteering in North Dakota with the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, SALT. And she graduated the year before me from Franciscan. And so, she came back to recruit because they needed teachers. So, the mission um, was in North Dakota on a Native American reservation and they ran their school with just volunteers. So, every year, new teachers because they were the volunteers that were the teachers. And she knew as an education major, so she was trying to push me to come. And then I was like, well, kind of want to do mission work. And so, I ended up um, I ended up saying yes, and I went to North Dakota. Not because I wasn't, I wasn't praying about religious life. I, was, I just wanted to do a year of mission work. I had a plan. My plan was I'm going to do a year of mission work. I'm going to go back to New York where my family is, get my master's in education, settle down, be a teacher in New York. That was my plan. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I ended up going to North Dakota, and it was during my first year there, because I stayed for two years as a volunteer, when um so everybody that was volunteering with me they were young adults they were either just out of college or maybe two years out of college and they were volunteering at the school and we were all praying about what does god want us to do with our life you know we're all discerning god's will
1: and at this point had you been asking those questions
0: yes okay i started praying about what is god's will for me when i was at franciscan so every day i would pray lord Please tell me what is your will for me. And if it's to get married, find me the right spouse. Put him in my path. I prayed that really my whole college years because I started when I was a freshman. So Jesus got so many prayers. (laughs) (laughs) And so I would, yeah, I would just pray like, I really truly wanted to do what God wanted for me. So I wanted to do his will. I knew it was going to make me the most happy. I go to North Dakota. And we're all praying about God's will. You know, we're all discerning something. Like, what is the next step for me? What do we do after, you know, it's not just what is your vocation, but like, what is the next step after I'm done volunteering? So we'd go back to, we had a women's house, and then the men had a men's house where they lived. I'd go back to the women's house and talk to the young ladies that lived with me, and we'd be like, what are you going to do? Like, what's God telling you in prayer? <laughs> so we'd we'd all have these conversations. And um, and we were all having spiritual direction. And so during spiritual direction, you know, we're all individually talking to our spiritual directors about like, what is next for us? My spiritual director gave me the advice of, I want you to spend three weeks on each vocation. So three weeks praying about maybe you're called to single life, but dedicated to the church, you know, maybe you're called to married life. So pray about that. If God's just calling you to that or pray about religious life and spend three weeks on each one. And he gave me scripture passages that that met with each vocation. So I was like, okay, that's, that's fair. I can do that. So I started, he's like, I want you to order it by what you'd want to do most and what you'd want least. I was like, well, at least, I don't know, for me, I really don't feel so called to like single life. That's probably like the least. Then I would say religious life. And then mostly I think God's probably calling me to marriage. That was my order. And so he's like, well, I want you to start with single life and pray about that first. I was like, okay. So I started with that. And I can't remember exactly when I started doing this. Let's say January-ish. And in February, there was an opportunity to go on a Curcio retreat. Cursillo? Yes. Yeah. And so I was like, ooh, I kind of want to do that. It would be something for me because, you know, all the retreats we were serving the people at the retreats that were – at the mission we were serving at, St. Anne's Mission. But this was an opportunity for me to go on retreat. And it was further away, it was in Harvey, North Dakota. And so it was about an hour and a half away. And I got permission, so I, they found me a substitute because they had to cover my classes. And I went away, it was like Thursday to Sunday. And there was maybe about five of us from our area, from the town in Belcourt, North Dakota that went to on this retreat. And while I was on retreat, the first, they put you in like little small groups. So you're at a table. I'm at a table and this lady at my table, we're going around saying where we're from. And I'm like, oh, I'm from outside of Buffalo, New York. And she's like, so am I. I thought she was joking. Really? There was a lady in North Dakota outside of that lived from Buffalo. And I'm and like, a retreat. at a Christina retreat. and Yeah. Christina retreat in North Dakota. And there's two people from Buffalo at the same table. I'm like, this is crazy. Anyway, she's like, are you praying about your vocation? I was like, everybody's praying about their vocation if you're not married yet. <laughs> and so I was like, of course I am. But she said it like, like, you know, like, are you seriously praying about your vocation? I was like, of course I am. And I just took it as nothing. But it was on that retreat. There was a time, they give you time to pray. Of course, it's a retreat, right? Mm-hmm. There's a time where we're all praying together. I can't give all the secrets because it's a cursillo.
1: In uh, Jornadas, we would say, vive tu momento, all right, live your moment. So, yes. So...
0: But there was a time when we were praying in small group, because you do that a lot on a yeah. retreat. Mm-hmm. So that's not any secret to share that we did that on that retreat. And I don't know if this is typical, but at this Christio, we did it. So I was in a room that, where the Blessed Sacrament was exposed with just a small group, maybe eight to ten of us in this room. And they said, all right, they passed around a crucifix, and they said, when it's your turn, we want you to s- express your prayer intentions out loud. So it wasn't my turn, but I'm praying silently for the person that's praying out loud. And this person, I don't know, maybe she's praying for her nephew that's sick. I can't remember exactly. And it's a women's retreat. So everybody's crying, you know, so everybody in the room is kind of oh, crying. Oh, so the whole cursillo is all women? Yeah. Okay, it wasn't one of those where it's Nope, It's okay. a women's curcio. Okay. So, yep, yeah, just women. And so this one lady's praying for, you know, her relative that's sick. And so the other women are crying I remember, I don't remember the prayer intention, but I remember looking up at the Blessed Sacrament, and it wasn't my turn yet, so I'm silent. But I look up at the Blessed Sacrament, and I hear, I want you to become a religious sister. And I looked down, and I was like, where did that come from? I wasn't even thinking about that. I was praying for this lady's nephew who's sick, you know? So I looked down, and I was like, that's crazy. It was like a voice that you heard. In my my head, but yeah, I heard it. And so then I looked down and I was like, whoa, what was that? And I look back up and I hear the same thing in my head. Like, I want you to become a religious sister. And I'm like, so I start crying. But I started crying for the wrong reasons. I started crying because that wasn't my first choice. I'm my first out. choice was <laughs> married life. Yeah. Yes, I was freaking out. Yeah. So I was like, no, no. So I'm teary-eyed, but nobody knows why I'm teary-eyed. They think I'm crying like the rest of the women in the room. So I felt <laughs> comfortable with that. I could just cry like everybody else in the room. But then I kept this a secret. Like I did not tell anybody the whole weekend that this happened. But then, I mean, it's... Something happened. Like, I didn't come up with that on my own. I really didn't know much. Like, now I've been learning about Ignatian prayer, but I didn't know anything about that. So I was like, what happened? And I would just go to the Adoration Chapel because at that point I was used to going, making a holy hour every day. Yes. So I'd go to the Adoration Chapel. This is after the Christio. And I'm like, Lord, what happened during that retreat? Like, what is going on in my life? So I shared it with my spiritual director and he could see I was a little upset. So he's like, I want you just to hold off. I want you, what are you supposed to be praying on right now? Married life. He's like, pray about married life. And I was like, thank you. I was just so (laughs) grateful that he's like, don't worry about it. I think he just said that because he could see how disturbed I was, right? So anyway, and he knows, like, obviously he was wise and he's like, give her time. She's going to accept God's will, right? So, but then there was, I realized that making that Cursillo, it bonded me with the people from the community that went with me to the Cursillo. I was like, if I want to get to know the people of the Turtle Mountains, that was where I was living in North Dakota, that was the name of the reservation, then I need to really do more of these retreats with them. So they offer a Crescia retreat, Life in the Spirit retreat, and um, they had like a teenager retreat. They call it like a tech retreat. They had all these different retreats that you could attend and be part of. You have to make it first, though you can serve on the retreat you got to live the retreat
1: before you could lead the retreat
0: exactly okay. so the next retreat that was coming up was life in the spirit I was mm-hmm. like Is i that like a
1: more uh, charismatic correct okay. yes
0: I was like I'm going to participate in that one because I'll get to know so many people from the community that I serve I signed up and there you know they get really excited and a new person signs up to you know, beyond the retreats. So I signed up and I remember during that retreat, there's a time because it's charismatic that everybody prays over you. And as they're praying over you, if something comes to mind, they share it. Right. So it's my turn for them to pray over me. And this one lady starts talking and she starts sharing. I see you walking down the aisle in church and you're with other people dressed the same and you're walking towards our lady <laughs> and I'm like, I'm getting mad inside, because I'm like, she is telling everybody I'm called to be a nun, because I'm way too old to have made my first communion. I already did it. <laughs> so I'm like, that's the only time you dress the same as other people. So she's obviously telling everybody I'm supposed to be a religious sister. and So I was very disturbed by it. And at this point, how old were you? 23 or 24. Yeah. So I was like... <laughs> I'm not going to do this. I'm not becoming a sister. But that was pretty like, I didn't tell anybody. So this lady had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> and that was pretty clear, like pretty clear message. And the interesting part is you're dressed the same as other women. You're going up towards the altar with our blessed mother. And
1: again, the name of salt is
0: society of our lady of the most holy trinity. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, hmm. But again, this is the interesting part. My spiritual director was part of this praying over group. So he was within the team that was praying over me. So he heard everything. So we talked about it afterwards. And he's like, again, don't worry about it. it. Just in. keep praying about what is God calling you to do? I was like, okay, I really like this guy. Thank you very much, Father. <laughs> so um, then I just kept bringing it to prayer. and And slowly, like this is what God does if you're open to it he changes your heart so he started to change my heart where I wanted to look at look into religious life so I did I started like learning about different religious communities I started just asking like what would it be like if I joined a religious group I started talking to Well, there were sisters in North Dakota. I I tried to stay away from them just because I didn't want people to think I wanted to join them. But I started talking to them a little bit more just to get to know, like, what is this type of life? Because I actually didn't know anything about religious life. Now, my college roommate joined the convent. She was super excited about it, and I was like, good for you, not for me. (laughs) And so, she was one of the first people I called, and I was like, can I just talk to you? I think I'm called to religious life too. I don't know what's going on. But at that point, I started accepting it, and I started to be at least like, Lord, I'm open to it, and if it is your will, I know it's going to be the best for me. So after my first year of volunteering in North Dakota, I wanted to go back again for a second year because I wanted more time to pray about religious life. So I went for a second year. In that time, I looked into numerous religious communities.
1: Any, uh, what are the second place options that you were thinking about?
0: Oh, my goodness. I called 30 convents. Do not recommend that at all. But I literally called 30 convents to just get more information. Well, once you call them, they have your number. Not that they really solicit, but they kind of did a little bit. So um, I wouldn't recommend that. I'd recommend like praying more and <laughs> narrowing it down. But I, I probably visited 10 different communities. But then I, I kind of had it narrowed down because I was praying like, okay, what does the Lord want? I kind of felt that I had a missionary desire. Some community that was missionary, I could be sent anywhere. Definitely wanted a community that had a devotion to our blessed mother. And I, I didn't really know what contemplative active was, but it sounded really good. And I felt like I'm already praying and making a holy hour every day to go backwards and not be doing that. Because some communities don't have adoration every day. I was like, I think God's definitely calling me to that because he's already kind of prepared me for it, you know. Um, And so I was visiting another community and I was visiting them at the National Shrine, the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. Have you ever been there? I've
1: never been there before.
0: Okay, so the upstairs is all these different chapels of our Blessed Mother. And the downstairs are more little coves or little chapels of our Blessed Mother. So almost, um, you know how you've been to hold the Redeemer? Yeah. How they have all those little prayer corners yeah, on yeah, yeah. the sides. Mm-hmm. So this was like side altars of Our Lady. Any type of Our Lady image. That sounds beautiful. It was amazing. Yeah. So I wanted to pray before. I was going to this community's um, their entrance to Novitiate Mass. But it was like, I got to the church an hour ahead of time. So I wanted to pray in one of these side chapels. Well, it was busy. The missions of charity were making their first vows upstairs. And then this community is going to be making their entrance to novitiate down in the basement or the crypt of the basilica. So I'm trying to find a little chapel where I could just pray silently with a lot of, without a lot of people. But they were all so packed. I finally found one. I still remember it, it was um, Our Lady of the Missions. Nobody was praying to her, but I was like, so I knelt down and I started praying. And I, I still remember my prayer. I was like, Mary, I'm sorry, but I am just sick of searching. Could you please just tell me where does your son want me to be? Like, where am I called to? And I, I got a little teary eyed and then I just wiped my eyes and I walked into mass and it was during that mass. I can't tell you what happened, but something in me said, you're called to go back to the society of our lady, the most holy trinity. Like no more searching, go back to the community that you met in North Dakota. I was like, huh. I just had so much peace with it. So actually, I was supposed to stay with that community for a few more days and then go visit another community. And so I still had to do that because it was all part, I didn't have a flight till another week later. And then once I got to the airport, I made the call to Salt, and I was like, When can I set up a time to come enter Aspirancy? And um, she was like, oh, my goodness, really? Because they already knew me because I volunteered there. So, yeah, from then on, I, I entered with SALT. I wasn't 100% sure, but through me you know, just going through the formation process, I could see why God chose me to be there.
1: And uh, going back to that uh, at the time you heard that voice, that saying, I want you to be, was that a religious sister? Yes. What can you tell us about that kind of voice? Because I think sometimes it's hard for us to distinguish, is this coming from me, or is it coming from God, or is it coming from someone else?
0: Yes. So I had to really... I didn't really understand the term discernment of spirits, but that's what you're doing. You're discerning what spirit is this. Is this the good spirit, or is it the evil spirit, right? And so we always want to be listening to the promptings of the good spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? so sometimes... You can pay attention and there's, there's ways to like discern, is this of God or is this my own thoughts or is this like a a temptation thought? First of all, it came, it came out of nowhere. I wasn't thinking about that. All right. So that, that's a good sign of, okay, it's probably not my own thought. Right. And then you want to pay attention to, does it bring peace or like, what's the feeling? Now, granted, I didn't have, wasn't necessarily super peaceful, but it wasn't like a, a jarring or a like a biting type of feeling of, you know. Like a sting. Exactly, which that would be more from the evil one, really, his thoughts when they come to you. It was, but it was definitely something I wasn't thinking, so I knew it wasn't from me. And then the more I gave it time to settle, the more peace it brought and the more fruit it brought. So, And you never want to discern something like that on your own. So you do want to always take it to prayer and take it to spiritual direction. And so I did that. I took it to spiritual direction. and I had my spiritual director help me discern: is this from the Lord or is it not? And so that's always um, a tip that you just want to be paying attention to because sometimes we can just think this is always of God, you know.
1: I'm but at a, I'm at a, people are praying over me where, where with exactly religi- holy people. Has to be of God.
0: Exactly. You don't ever want to just just take it like that. Mm-hmm. You always want to always want to discern everything because that's when the evil one's gonna like trick you, is when you're not taking it to prayer and taking it to discernment with someone else. So the evil one always wants us to to keep things secret, but when we share it with a spiritual director and bring it out into the light, that's when we can have a blessing to know if it's from God or not.
1: And then in terms of when you finally made that decision to join uh, the community of salt, um, what advice would you give for people who perhaps are applying to 30 different ones and are doing all these things, but are not necessarily making a decision.
0: So one of the things that I realized is that God places you in the right path at the right time. So he already took me to salt because I was volunteering with them. That doesn't mean you have to join the first community you see, but sometimes there's a reason why. So for me, I was looking, you know, it's kind of like that, um, St. Augustine, you know, he's searching all for God in exterior ways, but he was right there with him, you know? So sometimes we're searching for, oh, what's going to be the perfect community or what's going to be, but really you just want to pray interiorly and be like, Lord, where are you calling me to? And so, yes, with discernment, you want to think of, okay, what is bringing me the most peace? But sometimes I went to visit amazing communities, and I was there and I was like, I am really – agitated. And, and I just, I don't feel peaceful here. It's beautiful. These sisters are wonderful. I still know these sisters, but uh, it wasn't for me for whatever reason. I just didn't have that interior peace there. And so you want to be paying attention to things like that. And you want to be paying attention to what God has already been doing in your heart, because that's usually where he's guiding you to continue to move forward.
1: Great. Thank you, Sister Kateri. Uh, we're going to have a short break to hear a little bit from our sponsors, and then we will continue. Conversation.
2: This episode of Cafe Con Santos is brought to you by the Basilica of St. Anne's de Detroit. St. Anne's is a French origin church that was established in 1701 with our current building built in 1886. There are a few things that were brought from the previous church, which was the stone church. These are the body of Father Gabriel Richard, our founder, currently rests in our chapel. hand-carved altar rail. that was carved in 1853 and is currently in our church, the 1818 cornerstone from the stone church, the statue of St. Anne that's on the shrine which also contains a first-class relic of hers, and the chapel's altar from 1818 that Father Gabriel Richard used to celebrate Mass in. This church took about one year to build and all pews were hand-carved. This is a French neo-Gothic structure, so everything points up. There are many known miracles, mostly around St. Anne's feast day, which is July 26. A lot of people come and pray for fertility and to find a good spouse. In the 1960s, St. Anne's church was in the verge of closing, but thanks to the surplus of Hispanic community, it was able to stay afloat, and it has been a multicultural church since. Through the years, many parish ministries have served in the Southwest community, including Cornadas, Knights of Columbus, Guadalupanas, to mention a few. Good St. Anne, you were specially favored by God to be the mother of the Most Holy Virgin Mary, and thus grandmother of our Savior Jesus Christ. By your intimacy with your Most Pure Daughter and her Divine Son, kindly obtain for us the graces that we seek the cure for us the strength to perform faithfully our daily duties and the help we need to persevere in the love of Jesus and Mary madre de maria y abuela de jesus ruega por nosotros hi my name is Kayla and i'm the manager here at Momento Gelato and Coffee we have 14 flavors of gelato that rotates through the year seasonally, and we have amazing coffee. Um, we are both the coffee makers and the gelato makers who make everything from scratch. We also have trivia nights on Wednesdays. So come check us out. Be a great time, family friendly. And thank you to Cafe Consantos for being a partner with us for this video
1: enjoyed this episode uh, what well, you got to listen so far we would appreciate it if you would hit the like and subscribe button and we were, are now going to jump into the second portion of this episode which is a section where we talk about the life of a saint and for this episode we're going to be talking about Saint Kateri Tekakwitha. and so I'm going to read a short biography about Saint Kateri and then we're just going to spend the rest of this episode talking about how her life The blood of the martyrs is the seed of saints. Nine years after the Jesuits, Isaac Jogues and John Deland, were tomahawked by Iroquois warriors, a baby girl was born near the place of their martyrdom in New York. Her mother was a Christian, Algonquin, taken captive by the Iroquois and given as wife to the chief of the Mohawk clan the boldest and fiercest of the five nations. When she was four, Tekawitha lost her parents and little brother in a smallpox epidemic that left her disfigured and half blind. She was adopted by an uncle who succeeded her father as chief. He hated the coming of the black robes, which were Jesuit missionaries, but could not do anything to them because a peace treaty with the French required their presence in villages with Christian captives. She was moved by the words of three black roves who lodged with her uncle, but fear of him kept her from seeking instruction. Tekowitha refused to marry a Mohawk brave, and at 19, finally got the courage to take the step of converting. She was baptized with the name Kateri, Catherine on Eastern Sunday. Now she would be treated as a slave. Because she would not work on Sunday, Kateri received no food that day. Her life and grace grew rapidly. She told a missionary that she often meditated on the great dignity of being baptized. She was powerfully moved by God's love for human beings and saw the dignity of each of her people. She was always in danger for her conversion and holy life created great opposition. On the advice of a priest, Kateri stole away one night and began a 200-mile walking journey to a Christian Indian village at Salt St. Louis, named near Montreal. For three years, she grew in holiness under the direction of a priest and an older Iroquois woman, giving herself totally to God in long hours of prayer, in charity and in strenuous penance. At 23, Kateri took a vow of virginity, an unprecedented act for an Indian woman whose future depended on being married. She found a place in the woods where she could pray an hour a day and was accused of meeting a man there. Her dedication to virginity was instinctive. Hateri did not know about religious life for women until she visited Montreal. Inspired by this, she and two friends wanted to start a community, but the local priest dissuaded her. She humbly accepted an ordinary life. She practiced extremely severe fasting as penance for the conversion of her nation. Eteri died The afternoon before Holy Thursday, witnesses said that her face changed color and became like that of a healthy child. The lines of suffering, even the pockmarks, disappeared, and the touch of a smile came upon her lips. She was beatified in 1980 and canonized in 2012. St. Kateri, pray for us. I'm barely realizing that she was recently canonized in 2012. Wow. So what can you tell us, or what are some first thoughts about St. Kateri?
0: Um, Well, I was kind of praying, like, what are things that really allow her to stand out? Or what are things that I would like to see within myself that I could see her as a role model in? And it's her prayerfulness, her purity, and her simplicity. Like, she was extremely prayerful. As it said, like, she was very prayerful, even doing penance, but prayerful penance for her people. You know, she was always just begging for um, God's mercy on the Mohawk, you know, on the Mohawk tribe, and just, because she wanted conversion from her own people. So, her prayerfulness is amazing. And purity, like, she... Did not want to, she wanted to be pure and chaste for our Lord to give her whole self to Jesus. And that is very remarkable. And it's a great thing to just really ask for I think of Tiri with us, um, intercession for for those that are wanting to be chaste, for those that really want to, even if it's being chaste, like well, everybody's chaste, even you're determining your state of life, right? Even if you're married, you still have to live. A form of chastity, but, um, but to be solely giving your heart to Jesus in that way, like she really modeled that well, she was very simple, you know, she, um, yeah, she just lived a simple, ordinary life amongst the native Americans, amongst the, her people. And, and that's something that we could all strive to just live simplicity, you know, not to have a lot of things, but to just live simply.
1: Yeah. Like going off of what you're saying, I think what stood out to me was, the. I'm assuming at some point she she saw the beauty and religious life and all those communities, whatever, were closest to her. She was like, huh, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea if I did it. And her priests were like, no, you're not going to do that. Like, oh, okay. And she yeah. just humbly, <laughs> yeah. just, okay.
0: And part of it was because she was Native American. Like, mm-hmm. there wasn't the community she was looking into. I can't remember which community it was, but I remember reading about it, and they just didn't have any Native Americans that joined them. So it wasn't that she wasn't called or because it wasn't just wasn't a norm i guess you could say so they're like no i think you're just called to just live chastity almost like a like a private vow of virginity that she gave um and just to live that while still living in your christian community once you moved to canada
1: and so you are sister kateri and we're talking about saint kateri what can you tell us about the process for having a new name in religious life?
0: Um, so when we make, in the Society of Our Lady the Most Holy Trinity, when we make our first vows is when we have the opportunity to change our name.
1: What's the first vow?
0: So there's a process to, kind of like studying, you know, like you don't just become a priest, you have to study and go to seminary and prepare to get ready for the priesthood, right? So for sisters, there's a time of, studying and learning what it's like to be a sister. So we have an aspirancy, which is anywhere from four months to a year. And we have postulancy, which is a year, a formation and um, learning about the life of the religious and about the community you're joining. And then our community has um, two years of novitiate, where you're now dressed like a sister. You're called sister, but you still are called um, from your baptismal name, so whatever you grew up as. And then after that preparation, if you feel God's still calling you to religious life, then you make your first vows. And you're in your first vow. You you renew your first vows for five consecutive years before you make what we call perpetual vows or final vows. And so when I was a novice, I was praying about, um, actually, I should have been praying more about what does God want for me. I didn't know that I felt that he was calling me to have a new name we had a teaching in our classes when I was a novice. And it said, Jesus gave St. Peter, he was Simon, but he had a new mission. And when he had a new mission, he gave him a new name. I was like, well, I'm definitely going to have a new mission, right? Like this is total change of life for me, joining a religious life. And so I was like, I think God probably wants to give me a new name." Wasn't totally positive, but I thought so. So I prayed about it, and you, in our community, you can submit three names, and mm-hmm. then the founder picks. So I submitted three names after praying about it.
1: You happen to remember what those were? I do. You want to <laughs> share those, or is that too yeah, personal? Oh <laughs>
0: no, I'll totally share it. So my baptismal name was Barbara. So I thought I would. I can't totally remember. This like, Barbara, Sister Mary Barbara of the Blessed Sacrament. Can't totally remember that. I had titles for everything too. <laughs> Um, then the other one was Sister Mary Faustina and then um, Sister Kateri Marie. And My full name is Sister Kateri Marie Benedicta of the Cross, which means like blessings of the cross. So to live up to that, I'm supposed to see blessings in the crosses that I have in life. I still have to practice that more. But anyway, um, I felt drawn to that because I was like, well, we all have suffering and I want to be joyful in it, you know? So I submitted those three names, and I I was kind of like, I just had a devotion to St. Faustina. The reason why I submitted Kateri was because at the time, my mother was sick with cancer, and I kind of wanted to be named after her, but we already had two Sister Catherines in our community, so I knew I wouldn't get the name. So I did a different version of it, because Kateri is a version of Catherine. And I'm from New York. She was born in what is now New York, at the time it wasn't, but now New York, I was like, oh, there's a little bit of a bond. I served on a reservation. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to go with that one too. I don't really know which one God wants for me, but I think those are good three good choices, you know. And you don't find out till it's the Mass, and you're in the Mass for your first vows, and you're kneeling in front of the altar, and they say, you know, you kneel down and they say from henceforth you will now be known as sister and you're just waiting for what your new name is going to be. And you hear it with everybody else.
1: They didn't give you a heads up or anything?
0: No heads up. No. So I'm just waiting. I was like, I wonder which one he's going to pick. And then I did put, so I submitted those three, but I said, but if there's another option, you can, your choice to our founder because he was alive at that time. So he could, I put that he could just pick any name. So then I, I heard the name, and yeah, I became Sister Kateri Marie Benedict of the Cross. I know. So, and then, so crazy story, I actually was able to go to the canonization. Sister Kateri. Yeah. Or St. Kateri, check it with that. So I was serving my first assignment without knowing what I was going to pick for my name. This is how providential it was. Without knowing what, I, what name I submitted, they already knew they were going to send me back to North Dakota on the reservation. Okay, so I was already going to go back to North Dakota. But then I, I did submit that name. So I get that name. My first assignment is going back to North Dakota to work on the reservation. And then while I was serving in North Dakota, I ended up serving there as a sister for eight years. So I lived there for 10 years total. And when I was there, our development director, um, he said, you know, the canonization, I heard about the canonization, of course, from other people. And he's like, you know, for the canonization, you should really go. I was like, well, it's Rome. And I don't know if I'd get permission for that. He's like, ask for permission. We'll see if we can raise money for you to go. I asked for permission and I wasn't granted permission. And he calls me up about a month later and he's like, I got the money for you to go. I was like, well, I don't have permission. He's like, call and ask again because I, I have a full paid pilgrimage for you to join the U.S. Conference of Black and Indian Affairs, they paid for my way to go to the canonization. So I called up and I was like, I didn't ask for this, but this guy asked on my behalf and he got a full paid, you know, scholarship for me to go to this canonization in Rome.
1: And at this time it was uh, Pope Benedict XVI?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what what is a canonization process like?
0: So they so in order for somebody to be canonized a saint, first you have to have three miracles that happen through the saint's intercession, right? And Saint Kateri, I mean, she died in the 1600s, so it's been a long time, right, that she has not been canonized. Which was
1: around the same time as Saint Mary Margaret Alacoque. I um, think she was like in the 1640s.
0: Yeah, maybe so. so. Maybe yeah, around yeah. same time. Okay, and so. So she, So this family was praying, like a more recent family. They were from Seattle. They were praying through the intercession of Saint. Kateri for a miracle for their son, who had this um, crazy instance. He was playing basketball, and the basketball hit his face. He was on a basketball team. He was like, mm, maybe he was eight years old, I think." And that night, his face kind of swelled up, and he got a -- I think it was a bacteria. A flesh eating bacteria that started eating at his face. Mm. And the doctors didn't know what to do. I guess they would do some surgery where they would try to take off some of it and then hope it'd grow back healthy. And it wasn't. So the doctor actually pulled the family aside and said, "If, If you're religious, I would suggest, you know, pray and go to your community, your faith community, and ask them to pray and intercede. So they're
1: like, strange. Okay. I, I, I know. I, right. I, I don't think you would ever hear that here in the U S at this time.
0: Oh, it was in Seattle. Oh, I know out of all places, but um I love Seattle. No, no <laughs> offense to that. Um, so they did, they started praying and somebody said, pray to St. Kateri Tekawitha, because the interesting part is um, that family was part Native American and Saint Kateri had smallpox when she was young, and it scarred her face. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like a other skin disease, you could say. Yeah. And so, they were praying for her through her intercession for this young kid, this child, to be healed. And they brought a relic of Saint Kateri and placed it on his face right before he was about to go into surgery. After numerous surgeries, and this was years of praying. And when he went into surgery, it was all cleared up and they, they didn't even do anything for surgery. They just saw that it was fine. And so the, so part of the process is then there has to be an investigation to make sure it was authentic.
1: Make sure it wasn't all phony.
0: Right. So being at the canonization, I was able to meet some of the doctors that did the research and the investigations. It was crazy. It was such a neat experience because the church really does take it seriously and they really do research. Like, was this jet, like, was this something that the doctors did, or really was this an unexplained miracle? Like nothing could explain how this happened, so it only could be through her intercession. And yeah, they couldn't explain how all of a sudden his face was cured.
1: And so this time, you already were Sister Kateri. I was. So yes. what was it like? Because I think that they unrobe or they put down the, the image of, I think, St. Saint, Saint Kateri? Or so they,
0: okay, so, all right, this is crazy story. So I went, first of all, I went with this huge group of hundreds of pilgrims from the United States that were going. And I happened to be with, every sister I ran into was named Sister Kateri or some form of that because we were there for her canonization. But there were other saints that were being canonized. It wasn't just her. So from the States, um, St. Kateri and St. Marianne Cope, she was also being canonized. And so two American saints were being canonized at the same time. And so there were sisters for her too, of course. I was there for her too because she was a saint from the, um, she ended up joining a convent in Syracuse, New York. So I was kind of like, oh, two New Yorkers, <laughs> both getting canonized together. But um, I joined with these other two sisters And we were just, because it was a pilgrimage, so you were in Rome for like five days leading up to the canonization. So I got to know people on my pilgrimage group, and I got to know some of the other sisters. And so there were three of us that kind of all hung out together. Um, One was a CFR. She goes by Sister Anne Cattery, and then myself, and then Sister Cattery Marie, who is a sister of life. So the three of us kind of hanging out together. And the night before the canonization, I guess they received these tickets on their bed. The next morning, they're like, Hey, did you get an orange ticket in your room? Golden tick. And I'm like, I didn't get an orange ticket. And they're like, Yeah, like, you didn't get one? Like, we came up to our room and there were these orange tickets for like special seating for the canonization. And I was like, Oh, no. So they give me a green ticket. It was just general audience. So we go up to our, this is kind of bad. So we go up to our travel guide. And he's like, you go with them. They'll let you in. I was like, but what if they don't? <laughs> it's a whole different entrance to get in. I would be away from the crowd of 700 that I joined. And I would be on my own if I did not get in with these two other sisters because we had to leave everybody. He's like, just go, just go. And I was like, Uh. So we're waiting in line for hours. I mean, at least two and a half hours before the canonization even starts just to get into St. Peter's. I have a different ticket, but I'm in line with the orange ticket people, so I'm very nervous because I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I could get totally kicked out and be in Rome by myself, and I do not speak Italian. So we well, get you're a sister. There's a lot of sisters in Rome. <laughs> there are a lot. They don't. It's not. It's not like a. Oh, look at a sister. You see sisters everywhere. <laughs> and so that's not really a. Um, so we're in line, and we're now up to security. And so you have to take everything out and, you know, go through security. And the one sister did speak Italian. So she goes up to the guard and she's like, there's three of us. Can you get us in? He doesn't even look at our tickets. So I put my ticket in my pocket because he doesn't even check our tickets. And he escorts us as the canonization Mass is starting. It's already right now starting. He escorts us in. There are three seats left right under the image of St. Kateri Tekawitha. And I just start crying because I'm like, I was meant to be here. There were only three seats left.
1: And like the person who was the third just never. No,
0: well, because you didn't have like a named seat. It was just anywhere in the general sitting area. And they, because it just started, the mass, like we could, we weren't in yet and we could hear the entrance, him starting. So we're like, oh my gosh, it's starting. We're going to be late. We were the last three in that area. There were sections, though. There were many sections, but in our section, there were only three seats left. And so I was like, oh my gosh. Like, God wants me here. St. Kateri wants me here. And I knew at that moment that this was the name that I was called to have.
1: It was like, a, what is it called? Uh, not an assurance, but uh, I forgot the word for it. I forget. It's, I know what you mean, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. What, like a... What's the word for it?
0: Like... Yeah, assurance is sticking in my head, but yeah, just confirmation. Confirmation. Thank you. Yeah. It was a confirmation that this is exactly who I'm supposed to be, and I'm supposed to be here right now. And from that time on, I knew that Saint Katiri Tekawitha, that the communion of saints is very real. It isn't just, oh, cool. I know these cool stories of these people that died hundreds of years ago. No, it's that they're still living in heaven like alive serving us. And I could tell like she's with me in a way that's like in a spiritual way. I can tell that she's helping me out and interceding for me on earth. It's pretty amazing. Like, yeah. The, and there's certain saints that are really interceding for us, you know, uniquely and individually. And you just got to, you know, pray. And, and God gives you a prompting of learning about a new saint to get to know them because, you know, there's a reason. They're probably interceding for you in heaven.
1: Apart from St. Kateri, did you ever have, like, a devotion to any other saints?
0: I remember the first time I ever prayed, like, a novena to a saint. It was St. Anne. and um, Mother of Mary? Yep. Okay. And so I always have had a devotion to St. Anne. Probably because of that, my friend in high school gave me a prayer card to St. Anne. And whenever my mom would give me prayer intentions or somebody would give me a prayer intention, I would, I would pray that that prayer to St. Anne. And I remember one time my mom was like, pray for this family. You know, my mom was a nurse at a cancer hospital. And she's like, pray for this family. You know, it, it's a young woman who has cancer and I don't think she's going to make it, but she has like three young children. So I kept praying for that woman and praying for that woman. And I think I prayed that prayer to St. Anne for about a month. And my mom came and told me, you know, she passed away and I was like, St. Anne, I can't believe it. I've been praying you. What happened? Come to find out right before she passed away, she was baptized. And Mm -hmm. I was like, that is more amazing to be baptized and go straight to heaven than to
1: experience a physical healing. Exactly.
0: So I was like, she did answer my prayers. Oh my gosh. So then I just had, and now everywhere I go is St. Anne. So I went to St. Anne's mission in North Dakota. Every year my family would go with my parish to St. Anne de Beaupre in um, Quebec. back. So we'd always pick, make a pilgrimage there. And then when I came to Detroit and I found out that our patroness is St. Anne, mm-hmm. I was like, well, St. Anne is also another one of those saints that I know she's taking care of me.
1: What, what can you tell – you spoke about it now, but what, what can you tell us about that transition from uh, – uh, North Dakota into Michigan, specifically in, in Detroit. And if you could talk a little bit about what you do now.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I re- I still remember when I was in North Dakota. I thought I was going to stay in North Dakota for the rest of my life because I loved it there. And I w- had a Native American name. You know, I thought it's the only reservation we had we were serving on at the time. So I was like, I think I'll just probably be here for the rest of my life. And I still remember the call when they're like, you're going to move to Detroit. And I was like, oh, huh. That's a little different. <laughs> I didn't have anything against Detroit. I just didn't think I was going to move. And um, I remember coming here and just, it was difficult in the beginning because I didn't know anyone. I knew a few people. Okay, I did uh, have some friends. This was about how many years back now? I came in 2017. Okay. Um, but we were establishing the salt convent here. So it's not like I was coming to a convent that was already established. We were establishing the convent.
1: Fun fact, when I was a kid, my aunt used to take us to doctor's appointments, and that is where you guys are now. That's where I live.
0: (laughs) Some people still come to visit for the doctor, and we're like, it's a convent now. (laughs) They haven't done that in a few years, but my first two years, I got so many people that were like... Is the doctor, no, 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 no doctor, no doctor anymore.
1: We got the spiritual doctor. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: No, not that doctor anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, so I lived in, I live in what was a doctor's office. When we moved in, there was still like an exam table in there. There was still the um, x-ray room that was covered with lead walls. We had to take care of all that. <laughs> Move it. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of things, you know, to adjust to. And you were really like setting the stage of, okay, what is it going to be like for the sisters in Detroit? So we started teaching at the school. Um, I was teaching middle school and the other two sisters that live with me were like aides in the classroom or helping in lunchroom recess, those type of things. So we were just trying to serve as best we could or wherever the need was at the school. And then we did that during the day, and then the evening we would try to, you know, fix up our convent and get donations to not only fix it, but like, you know, we need furniture, we needed everything. So, um, just to put things together so that it really could be a home for the next future Salt Sisters that came. So, that part was a little bit of a challenge. Um, But just like anywhere, like, you do adjust, No, I think it was a good urging for me because it was a new experience. So you have to rely on our Lord more. And I can easily look back because there were some things we had to do, like construction wise, and we had to you know, purchase new refrigerators. I never did any of that stuff. I never owned a house. I went from college to volunteering to join a convent. So I never owned my own house, let alone had to put a house together. And so I remember looking back at like my third year here and saying, I know why God brought me because I don't know anything about construction. I don't know anything about putting a house together. And it proves that he's the one that did it all for me through the hands of other people. But it was not anything I did. So I can't take any credit for it. I would like to, but I can't because I definitely could not do that. And so, um, he just proved how much he wants to take care of, you know, his, his brides because he did.
1: And what can you tell us about? salt? So, cause, um, you do have, Father Tony, we got a lot of priests over at, at Holy Redeemer. Like, what is, I, I guess, the the charism of, of salt?
0: Yes. So we have, um, first of all, a Marian Trinitarian spirituality. So we all Mar- do. Wait, 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 wait. Marian. So- Marian Trinitarian. Yep. So we, so we um, all consecrate ourselves to our Blessed Mother. And she's the one that draws us to the Most Holy Trinity. So it's through um, our love and devotion to her that she really takes us to understand and know each person of the Trinity. So we're all consecrated. We do the St. Louis de Montfort consecration. Um, so we're all consecrated to our Blessed Mother. And we, so there's different parts of our charism. So We serve on what we call an ecclesial family team. What that means is the priests, brothers, Sisters and our lay members all serve together at the same mission. So that's the goal for all each mission that we have is that it's all vocations serving together. It's not just the priests, not just sisters, but it's lay families even. So
1: you guys have lay members as well?
0: We do, yes. So we can have um, lay. Literally, we've had families that join our community and serve with us. Um, I served with one of the sisters. She grew up in Salt because her so, her family was a Salt family. And then she ended up knowing that she was called to religious life and joined the convent. But she, I, like I knew her, said she was like a little kid. She just grew up knowing us because she was already, her family was a lay commi- committed, you know, Salt family. So we have all vocations. The goal is to have all vocations serving in the missions. And we serve in areas of deepest apostolic need according to the need of the bishop where we're assigned. So what that means is we always want to be serving with what the needs are. And for the United States, um, part of the need is parishes and schools and then doing the work that comes with parishes and schools, like the ministry that comes with that. Um, in Thailand, we have like a drug addiction um, center that helps people that struggle with that. Um, we have an orphanage in, in Mexico. We have um, schools in Belize. So it just depends on the needs of the bishop of the area that we're located as to what our apostolate is.
1: And in terms of, uh, I guess, spirituality, you said it's more towards the devotion to Our Lady that draws you to the Holy Trinity. Mm -hmm. What does that look like?
0: Our community, um, every evening we do liturgy prep where we pray and reflect on the readings for the next day's Mass. And that just allows... The mass to be our live in our hearts because we're asking the Lord, what is it that you want to say to me in scriptures for the mass that day? Not just like what do the scriptures mean, but you are actually asking, like, what are you trying to tell me, Lord, in the scriptures? So we take time to meditate and then we share. So we usually have liturgy prep a few times a week where we're sharing. Um, is
1: it almost like lectio divina?
0: Exactly okay. so we we have that um, in community, and um, we pray the rosary every day because we're um, devoted to our blessed mother, and just really to our goal is to draw all people in communion with the most holy Trinity through our blessed mother so
1: and your uh, principle right uh- yeah. Yes. What's What's it like being a principal, but not only a principal, but a Catholic principal? But not only a Catholic principal, but a religious sister principal. Yeah, good
0: point. <laughs> so I remember when they asked me if I would become principal, I thought it was a joke. I thought they were kidding. we started laughing because I was like, oh, that's really funny. <laughs> and they're like, "Now we're serious. We 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 want you to think about being the next principal. I'm like, oh, you're, you're serious. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, hmm never thought of that. And I don't really think it's a good idea <laughs> because I was like, I know, no teaching is hard enough. I don't know if I could ever be the principal. And so um, my community is like, well, we want you to pray about it. We want you to see, is God calling you to do this? And I was adamant. He probably wasn't. But then I was like, well, <clears throat> I took a vow of obedience. So if my superiors feel that I am called to become the principal, then I'll do it gut feeling is I'm probably not supposed to, but I want to be obedient to whatever they say, so that's what I ended up after praying for a whole year on it. Oh, I year? Just, Oh, yeah, they oh. asked me, and they brought it to my attention in like, uh, maybe October, and I finally gave in in April.
1: So was it one <laughs> of those things where had you said yes, they would have right away put you? Oh
0: no, because oh, okay, st- gotcha. I was teaching, so I would' okay. have needed to finish out the year anyway. All
1: right. I was just saying because I have a friend here who with the Grupo de Jovenes, he, he was like, hey, you know, we're going to not be the coordinators anymore. We need someone new. Do you want to do it? I was like, yeah, I don't think so. Let me pray about it. And he asked me again and again and again. And then eventually I was like,
0: okay, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Oh, and then it happened right away. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I still had some transition time, but not much, because I took till April to decide. Um, but then... My first year, I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know what a principal did, because it's different than teaching. You know, I, I was a teacher, so I knew what you did in the classroom, but I didn't really know what the principal did, because the school I was at in North Dakota, it was such a small school that the principal taught. So I was like, well, I'm, what do you do? You take a few classes? Maybe you're teaching a few classes on top of, what, answering the telephones? I don't know what you do. Right, I didn't. Let alone, I didn't realize all the paperwork, all the organization, all that that goes into being a principal. So I learned, and then I went to school for it because that was part of the agreement that you would go to school to be an administrator. So then I really learned what it's like to be a principal, and I had great mentors. Um, So the the two previous principals, both at Holy Redeemer, still helping out, and so they gave me, they mentored me and helped me out tons. And I really realized that God planned for this. Like, it was already in his plan that I would say yes and do this. Seems like the, a repeating thing. God does say he does patterns with us, so pay attention to the patterns. I, when I was in North Dakota, I was, so th- we would get volunteers to teach, right? Well, if you didn't get a volunteer to teach a certain grade, the sisters would fill in. So I taught all the grades at one point, from kindergarten to eighth grade. With that practice, being the principal, I can honestly say, well, I've taught all grades because at some point I had to, because in North Dakota, they, I used to be middle school. So that's what I went to school for, was to be a middle school teacher. But then if they didn't, if they had people that were middle school teachers, they'd move me. So at one point they moved me from, I was fourth grade for like four or five years. And they're like, we want you to be first grade. I was like, oh no. I'm not teaching first graders. They don't know how to, some of them know how to read, but not really. I don't know how to teach kids to read. I take the kids that already know how to read. Mm -hmm. Just make it better. So I'm like, I don't, I would have to learn phonics all over again. (laughs) Like you're really kind of, I mean, could you teach people sounds of the letters? Kind of hard. If you're, you just know it at this point, right? Yeah. So I had to reteach myself all those things. Well, anyway, knowing that, like having that big span of learning, learning, of teaching from kindergarten all the way up to eighth grade, then it helped me to kind of oversee, okay, I know what each grade kind of sort of should look like because I've taught all of them at some point. So that did help me at least um, be able to have empathy with the teachers when they're like, I don't understand this or I can't do this. and be like, I understand that. You're right. This is a little difficult, you know. But then I did have to learn. um,
1: Administration
0: stuff. Yes. So all the paperwork, all the charts, all the scheduling that you have to do. And then how to make the school better every year. So I remember serving with a priest in North Dakota and he's like, sister, the goal is every year making the mission better. So every year you should have goals on how can we improve. And so I take that also for Holy Redeemer, like how are we going to make our school better spiritually, physically with the building itself and then academically, like how are we going to improve every year? And what is our Lord asking of us?
1: And what can you tell us about Holy Redeemer in terms of the program that you have? Because I think a lot of the listeners are more used to public education, probably spaces where the faith is not really something that is promoted, maybe sometimes even kind of stepped on.
0: So my, my goal is for each of the students to encounter Christ. It's easier said than done, right? Because I can't force that, you know, but to be making it available. So, um, it really isn't just, you have a religion class and after those 40 minutes, you're back in a public school. So you're in a Catholic school the whole day. So every class, you should be seeing a crucifix. You should be saying a prayer before class. You should be really to strive to teach the students to be disciples of Christ and to be kind and charitable to their peers. And sometimes it's a, it's such a challenge, right? If they're not, experiencing that at home, if they didn't grow up realizing, like, we need to love our neighbor and what does that mean? It means being nice to the kid next to me who isn't so nice to me, you know? that. So, really striving to teach the students that. And when they make a mistake, to say, okay, there are consequences when you make a mistake. But I still love you, and God loves you, and I want this to be a learning lesson. They all hear that from me. <laughs> but I think that's so true. Like when we make a mistake, you're not condemned, you're loved, but we want it to be a learning lesson where you change. You might not change perfectly the next day, but we want you to, to be working towards, okay, how can I improve myself, you know? And so, we try to, we try to instill things like that at Holy Redeemer. And, of course, a love for the faith. So part of our mission statement is that we'd be proudly Catholic. And I really do want the kids to be proud of their Catholic faith so that when they leave our school, wherever they go to next, that they're proud that they're Catholic. That they're like, no, I, I am Catholic, I love my faith, and I want to share it with others.
1: Are there any uh, stories that you could share about just some of those examples of the the? The students who perhaps do have those encounters with Christ or with Jesus? So
0: we just, we did receive a grant from the um, Catholic Foundation of Michigan this past year. And we applied to have a retreat for every grade in the school.
1: Uh, from first to?
0: From kindergarten to eighth grade. Uh, so um, a team of teachers trained some of the middle schoolers to be like campus ministers. And they gave the retreats to the lower grades. But then they also received their own retreat. And we took them to different places. We went to Manresa for one. We went to Solanas Casey Center. We went to St. Paul the Cross. Then we did the lower grades pretty much at the school. But they got out of class and they did interactive Was things. Was Tony there?
1: I think I might have seen something on Facebook.
0: Uh, he might have been one of them. Yeah, sometimes he helps us. He helps Hi, Tony. <laughs> He's a friend of Holy Redeemer because he also helps coach. Uh, he was coaching like our basketball. Yeah, it's great. Um, so when the middle schoolers were on their retreat, there was a time when one of the teachers was having them go through like Alexio Divina meditation. And she said, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture Jesus in front of you. And the kids, they entered into the prayer. And they're experience one of them was saying this is the first time i really like pictured jesus's face and saw him looking at me i was i really was like in awe because that's the goal is to have them encounter christ mm-hmm. and at that retreat so many of those kids really experienced like our lord was present and he entered into their prayer so that's my hope is that not only they're receiving um a Catholic education where they're learning you know math and reading, which those are very important. I definitely push that, but that they a- encounter Christ in the religion class and those opportunities to you know be on retreat where they can set time aside to really like have relationship with Christ and deepen it and also we have we go to daily i'm sorry, I don't go to daily mass, but we go to mass once a week, so during that week mass that they um encounter Christ there, and that they have a desire to serve. A lot of them love serving. A lot of the boys love serving at the altar. And so that they, they continue to have that, that it grows with them.
1: So uh, talking back to, or changing subjects, but not that much, what well, can you tell us about the uh, volunteers or the missionaries that and, and you get at SALT?
0: So we just recently, this past year, so 2022 to 23, started um, Salt Missionary Volunteers in Detroit. It was our first time having them in Detroit. And we ended the year with four lovely women who um, served. Their main apostolate was at the school, um, serving at Holy Redeemer. But they also helped with youth ministry. They got to know people like within the Detroit area. Um, They were like joining different young adult ministries because they wanted also to grow in their faith. And I was a salt missionary volunteer. So I started in North Dakota as a salt volunteer. And my hope for them is that they encounter Christ through service. And those young women, well, out of those four, three of them are coming back for a second year. So we're hoping to grow the program where we're having six young women from all over the United States. So this past year we had... Um, one from Philadelphia, one from Texas, one from California, one from Alaska. We're all areas. (laughs) And so we're going to have, um, hopefully six women this next year. And the goal is that it's a time for service prayer and just their own personal growth towards encountering Christ while serving with our community. So they pray with our community. They have the opportunity, um, for daily mass adoration, joining us for morning prayer and then joining us, we do um, a Saturday liturgy prep where they pray about the um, Sunday readings, and so they join us every Saturday for that. And so just to develop community with these young adults.
1: And then in terms of the commitment for them, like uh, what is that like? Like if, if they become a volunteer, is there anything that keeps them there, or is
0: it's so usually it's a year commitment. So they're committing for a year. They do have to fundraise to be able to be a missionary, um, and then we kind of go over like, all right, this is, this is like the expectations. This is what, and we talked about like, what, what are your hopes for being a volunteer? Because we want to hear like, what are their desires also? And so, yeah, it's really just a year commitment. And, um, and then after that, if you desire to come back for another year, you know, there's that opportunity. But really, it's really um, a time where it's hopefully us serving them just as much as they're serving the community so that they can really have that opportunity to live with side-by-side with a religious community and get to know prayer in a deeper way than they have before, and then also know that when they serve, they're serving our Lord. So through that act of service, usually God does do a lot in their life. So this year it seemed to be very fruitful for the young women, and hopefully next year it will be just as great. To me, they bring a lot of joy in life because they're really excited and enthusiastic about their faith. And so it's great for the kids to see that witness. And what,
1: yeah, what is it like to have younger sisters in Christ or even people living together and and all that?
0: Yeah, I, I think, so the church, you know, really it is alive and active even amongst the young adults and the youth. You know, you just have to seek it out. And it is so much fun to be able to live with people that love and enjoy the Catholic faith. That they're like, no, I want to live my faith radically. And I want others to see the beautiful witness that it is to live for our Lord. No, we have so many gifts and treasures in the Catholic Church. And to be able to just witness that, because that's really what's gonna speak, is when we witness it to others. And so being able to like, yeah, serve side by side by other sisters in my community, or also um, these young adults that are volunteering um, who are just excited and love their faith. You know, it's really great.
1: So um, today is the solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. When the people are listening to this, uh, I don't know when it'll be. It's not going to be today, but (laughs) uh, who knows? Maybe if they hear a year from now, it'll happen to be today. But all that to say, um, how would you describe that fire of the sacred heart in your life.
0: So our Lord has a special unique love for each one of us. Like he loves each one of us very unique and different. And to pay attention that the sacred heart of Jesus is burning, not just John, just for me because I'm a religious sister, but for each one of us, like his heart is on fire because he loves us as if we were the only person on earth. And to really like think about that, just take a moment to think about Jesus loves you so immensely that his heart is burning because he wants to spend time with you. And when you think about that, just there's such a, you know, we all desire to be seen and known and loved, right? And God is always looking at us, seeing us, and he knows us perfectly, and he wants to love us more. So just to, to take time to really pay attention and stop and think about how much our Lord loves us.
1: I agree. So, it's a fire, and I think when we hear fire, we think of uh, danger, you don't want to get burned. But this fire is a, is a kind of fire that is, has the power of the fire, of the flame, but it's, it's a different type of if that makes sense. Um, and I guess for, for the listeners, I, I just say, uh, don't be afraid to Contrary to what your parents would say to touch that fire <laughs> cuz once you even have like a little tiny touch at it it'll just fill you up in in a, so much love so i hope that wherever you guys are at in your life you guys can begin to experience the the fire of that love
0: <laughs> yes yeah.
1: thank you so much for joining us on this episode are there any last thoughts that you would like to share with all of the listeners
0: um, I guess, I guess since we are talking about, um, the saints and St. Kateri, just really pay attention to your prayer life and how God is drawing the saints to have communion with you, that they're there as like your mediator, your friend, um, just as close as you are to your friends that you hang out with. The saints and our Lord are, they want to have a relationship with us, so just Take time to have that quiet prayer time so that you can be paying attention to those promptings.
1: All right, Sister Kateri, so uh, i like to finish these episodes by having the guest close us off in prayer. Awesome. And after that, I'm going to look at my camera and I'm going to invite the audience to pray the rosary. Then you'll look at your camera and you'll invite the listeners to pray the rosary. And then the third time, together at the same time, we'll say, pray the rosary. So. You could close us off a prayer.
0: In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm-hmm. The Sacred Heart of Jesus, who's burning for love for each one of us, we ask that you inflame our hearts and open our hearts to really receive your love. Help us to come to know how much you desire to be with each one of us. And for all of our listeners, we ask that you open their hearts to recognize your presence and how much you desire communion with each one of us. May this to Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Holy, Holy Spirit.
1: Spirit. Amen. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it in any way, we would appreciate it if you would hit the like and subscribe button. If you would like to support the Mission of Con Santos, you can do so by sharing all of these videos with your family or friends. I hope that wherever you are, you have a blessed rest of your day and please 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 always remember pray the rosary.
0: Pray the rosary. Pray, pray the, the rosary. rosary. Okay, you got it. <laughs>